there were only a couple that I remember ever seeing around the entire program. So class to class, there may have been one or maybe just me or maybe the two of us and then a sea of other dudes. That was the same for EMT school, it was the same for paramedic school. And let me tell you, I was always the only black woman. What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are those of your host and our guest. Today we have Aubrey Loveman. She is a firefighter in the beautiful tropical islands of Hawaii, and uh, we talk a little bit about that and so much more. I hope you enjoy this episode. Check it out. So, Aubrey, I am super excited uh, to have you on the podcast. Um, anytime I get to talk to somebody who's who's sitting on the Hawaiian Islands is a pleasure to me. I get to feel like a, I get a little aloha. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and hopefully uh, share some aloha with you. Right on. So, so Aubrey, um, tell me a little bit. Let's let's talk a little bit about first of all, how did you end up on the islands? Did you grow up there, or where where did you grow up? And give me a little bit about your story. Well. Um, <laughs> it's funny because you know the classic questions they always ask in interviews like what qualifies you to be a firefighter and I would always start out with well both my parents were in the army so I know how to take an order and, oh I uh, like that that's <laughs> right <laughs> and that's the truth you know I'm an army brat um so I grew up kind of all over uh, I was born in San Francisco moved around Germany Colorado um I spent some time in Michigan and, and middle and high school and then I moved back to California for college and uh, yeah, I was working there after school and um, I got, I was on this fire hire email list, you know, about tests. So I had been to um, Oahu for vacation a few times and loved it here. And um, my partner at the time and I, we thought, oh, like, we'd love to retire here. Like he was down to retire here. And, you know, we thought in the future, someday we could go live in Hawaii. But then I got this test in my email for the Honolulu Fire Department. And I was like, oh what if I took it? That sounds like a sign. <laughs> right? I was like, I mean, who am I to say no to this test? We'll just see. We'll see. One thing led to another and I got hired here and um, I moved out here. He didn't end up coming. That's another story and that all worked out just fine. But but yeah, that's how I got here. I <laughs> decided I would like to uh, fight fire here. And so that's what I did. Huh. Nice. And how long have you been out there now? Uh it will be seven years this July. Nice. That's awesome. That that's, yeah, there's, and there's, okay. So let me ask you, um, I have a ton of questions, but the first one is, is I always felt like, so I visited the islands a couple of times and I always feel like, man, I, I feel like I would get a little bit claustrophobic on the islands. Just, I, I love the big mountains and stuff like that. Mm. And, um, but when I come, it is super amazing. But did you, do you ever feel like you miss the mainland at all? You know, I heard about that. People were like, oh, you're going to get island fever and, you know, you're going to feel trapped out there. And I really never did. Um, I mean, it's lucky for me because there's a lot of stuff here that I love to do. You know, give me a beach and I'll never be bored. Um, <laughs> there's hiking, there's beaches, there's, I mean, it's just, there's so much here to do that I love doing um, that I never really felt like, oh, I really like. I guess the one thing is like, I'm not a snow sport person. If I was, maybe I'd miss that, but <laughs> I wasn't, you know, feeding for, you know, downhill skiing or anything. Right. Um, so I miss people from the mainland. You know, I missed a lot of friends and family, but I didn't miss like necessarily the land itself as much. Right. Where are your folks at? Are they still in Cali? 
Uh, my dad is in the Bay Area. My mom is in Michigan. That's where her people are from. Okay. So they are both still there. I'm trying to get them both to uh, come on out here. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have a few more kids. That's the that's the deal. Your grandkids. <laughs> I know my dog is not the biggest draw for them. It's not <laughs> enough to get them to move across the ocean. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. The furry kids are not necessarily the pull. So, so, okay. So we got to go back a little bit though. So you, you, you moved around a lot and, and that, I think that there's probably a lot of folks who can relate to that army brat lifestyle. Um, was there a place in particular where you spent uh, a significant amount of time or any experiences from your elite, your youth that you point to and you go, yeah, that was a defining moment for me. Hmm. I think, um, I spent the most time besides, uh, so as a kid, it was like moving every two to three years, I guess. And so nothing made as big of an impression um, when I was real young, you know, about that. I didn't realize that it was weird to move that much or, or not mm. weird, you know, but people were like, what was that like? Was it hard? And I'm like, I don't know. It was just, what just it was, normal, you know? right? Yeah. Yeah. So it didn't sense. seem that significant to me. But when um, so my parents split up and then that's when we moved to Michigan with my mom and, and to be near her family. So I spent more time there than anywhere else until I moved back to San Francisco. So I think that was kind of where like I was all middle school and high school. I was in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So that was really formative for me, I guess, being being there growing up. What What about Michigan stands out to you? Uh, <laughs> I never, well, I've never now, spent any time there. So it's, it's an, like a, that's a serious question. Like, I don't know anything about Ann Arbor, about Michigan and tell me more. Well, Ann Arbor is a football town, you know, U of M. So I got to be in like sort of a cool college town and, and a real, um, sportsy town. And then, you know, you've got Detroit and Detroit sports. So that's kind of where I got all my, my sport loyalties. Like the lions <laughs> is my team for life, despite the fact that they are usually garbage, um, you know, so that's where I sort of got all my my sports loyalties and, and my teams and everything like that. And a lot of sort of pop culture, you know, a lot of good music coming out of Detroit from Motown to, you know, more modern rappers and stuff. So how, how old yeah. were you at that point in your life? Uh, we moved there. I was 10. It was right before sixth grade. Okay. So from 10 to 17, that yep. was where I was. So that makes so that's pretty the, formative. Yep. That's the crux, right? That's the point when you're, when you're kind of figuring out your, your music tastes and your, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, your, your, yeah, your cultural kind of memories. I think, you know, you always default back, I think back to certain songs and stuff that pop up in my head, like that are critical in my life. Those came at mm -hmm. that time. You know, I was toting around a chunk of cardboard and trying to spin on my head and, and run DMC yeah. and the BC boys. That was like my, the anthem for me was, was those That's groups. Awesome. No one song. But <laughs> <the. laughs> so, um, so, so what, what put the, the, I'm going to take you right to the fire service. So what put the fire service on your radar? Was it something well, you studied in college or was there, what experiences led you down that path? I did study it eventually, but, you know, before college, like, you know, a lot of folks have people in their family that are in the fire service, you know, their dads, their cousins, their brothers, whoever, you know, they grow up in, in a fire family or whatever. Um, they have folks around them who are in that. So it's kind of, you know, natural for them to progress to that. Now, I didn't have anyone in my family in the fire service. Um, so it wasn't really on my radar. Uh, and also, I mean, just 
being a woman and a black woman, it's like, this is not something I saw on TV every day, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to see right. firefighters in pop culture, in the media, even in the news or whatever that looked like me. So it wasn't so much that like the world told me I couldn't, it was just like, nobody told me that I could. Um, it just didn't come up. And so it wasn't really something I had thought of. Well, I let me, was, let me in, ask you, let me ask you a quick question about that point. Do, do you feel like the that there are places where where women are told not to go like kind of as opposed to I, I like that with, I like the way you frame that where you said you, you weren't given permission to do it right it wasn't but it wasn't like someone said not to but it wasn't really pictured or painted for you as a thing that you could do I think um yeah even though I didn't immediately get the message like don't do this once I started sort of knocking on the door I did get that message like no mm. not for you Okay. Please don't get out of here. <laughs> so that was interesting, but I was like, well, too bad. I'm already interested. I'm already, yeah, so, you already hooked, set the hook. So how did, so, okay. Yeah. So I, I derailed you. Sorry. So, so tell me uh, where did that hook come from? So I was actually in college. I was going to San Francisco state and I was studying psychology. Um, I thought I wanted to be like a forensic psychologist. I was really interested in, um, I don't know, like criminal psychology and, I was big into like Alex Delaware books. And <laughs> so that's what I was studying. But I was kind of, you know, once I got into my major, I was kind of like, this isn't really what I thought it was going to be. And I'm, I'm not sure I love this. And, mm. but I was, um, you know, not sure what else I wanted to do. So I was still doing that. I was, um, walking one day outside my dorms behind the, the dorm area. There was a firehouse a couple blocks up and I was walking past that firehouse and a truck came and started backing in. And this woman, this black woman, came out of the truck and was like, you know, guiding the truck back. And I, it was just that moment of seeing someone who looked like me in that uniform, in that truck, in that area, in that job. And I was just like, huh, <laughs> you know, yeah, it sort of planted a seed. And I was just like, that's something you don't see every day. And I was like, cool. I was like, huh, I wonder what that's like. I wonder, what, I wonder how she likes that. And I wonder if I could, do that, you know, and that's kind of all it took was just that moment to see that, you know, that little bit of representation. And I, the wheel started turning. So, yeah, as I started figuring out, I didn't really want to pursue psychology. I started looking into the fire service. And again, I didn't know anybody in it. So I didn't know, like, really how to go about it. So I just started, I'm, <laughs> what's the 2001 equivalent of Googling? I guess Google was a thing. <laughs> But I feel like I, I don't remember anymore. I'm my really brain not is sure. <laughs> I don't even remember when like anymore because my brain has been so wrapped up in Google. I, I don't even remember. I, I should Google right? that. When it what Google was it before? <laughs> Ask Jeeves, I guess. I don't know. But I, I somehow searched out the information, like how do you become a firefighter? And yeah, so I started going to stations and I put in an interest card. And you know, I realized like in California at least. Um, it's really competitive and uh, most departments are at least EMT and require you to have that. A lot of them are going paramedic um, and they're hiring people with, you know, degrees in fire science. And mm -hmm. basically you have to have all the stuff if you want a real chance because yeah. everybody wants that job. Well, you have so many so people I started... competing that you have to kind of, you know, mm -hmm. build up your resume. Right. And so they're, and they're adding, adding kind of layers of, uh, of resistance, I guess, by, um, because there's so many candidates, right? So let's get the best qualified candidate. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So what was your, how uh, did you finish your degree? I did. I got my associates in fire science. Um, I went to EMT school. So I went, I dropped out of SF state 
and started going to City College, which oh, okay. um, was, you know, where the, the courses were available and was cheaper. So that was great. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yay, City College. And uh, so I started pursuing, yeah, my my education, my formal education, because I knew I was going to have to sort of get all that together to really be a, a viable candidate. Yeah. And the very first fire science class I took, so it was a battalion chief from Redwood City, um, Chief James Skinner, and he since went on to become the the chief of the department, and now he's retired. But I just want to shout him out because he was instrumental in my in my career. He was uh, teaching City College fire science classes, and so he was teaching Intro to Fire Science, and that was the mm. first class I ever took. And I was just, I mean, <laughs> he was clearly passionate about the job he was excited to teach, you know, and he's, you know, a chief in his career. He's got a lot to do. <laughs> he's, he's a busy man. Right. He's not, you know, just doing it for, you know, money or anything. It's, it's passion. And that really translated. And after that first class, I remember I called my mom back in Michigan and I was like, do you know why you have different fire hydrants there than I do here? <laughs> like, she was like, Oh, so you liked your class, huh? <laughs> like, That's yeah, hilarious. Like, what did I your, par- super- what did your parents think of you kind of heading down that path? you know, they were like, okay, like, <laughs> you know, they, they didn't discourage me at all. They were, you know, they were all about it. They were kind of like, okay, so you're leaving college. I was like, no, but I'm going to different college. They're like for firefighting. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of <laughs> had to explain to them, like, this is the path. I promise it's legit. And like, they were like, okay, great. Like you're going to make a good living. You're going to be happy. Like they supported that. They, they were a little surprised, I think, because like I said, it wasn't a thing in our family or anything. And it seemed to come out of nowhere for them. Right, but they were excited. Yeah, yeah. And were were your parents both enlisted, or were they officers in the in the army? Uh, my dad is a sergeant major. He's retired now, right. um, but yeah, he retired as a sergeant major. And my mom, she was only in for I think about four years, and then they met and got married and had me. And she went on to become a nurse and a nurse manager and a nurse practitioner. Okay, so and they're. they're, and they're uh, the reason I ask that is sometimes there's a there's a pressure in families if you've been a um, you know I think about the officer corps right all the degrees and advanced mm. degrees and sometimes there's pressure to like go get a, a, a you know a co- four year college degree and I was just curious if that pressure existed and suddenly your parents are like oh uh, okay so you're gonna go be a grunt I get it <laughs> right. No. Yeah. I mean, I think they always did, you know, want the best for me. They, they always wanted me to get good grades in school and stuff. But, you know, when I told them like, this is a great job and in California pays really well for Mm -hmm. firefighters and, and, you know, they both understood the value of like hard work and service work of, you know, medical work. And so they were really supportive. They weren't like, oh, this isn't prestigious enough for you. (laughs) They were just like, okay, if you like it, we love it. No, that's good because that's a, that I think that's just an added layer of complexity when, when family's like, yeah, I'm not sure we really want our daughter doing this. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's great because I think about my own daughter and I think, man, you can do anything you want. Well, both my kids, um, but in Mm -hmm. particular, my daughter, I'm like, there's not, there's not anything that if you say, hey, I'm interested in this, you shouldn't be able to go do that. And, um, you know, yeah, we encourage our kids to go get educated, but at the same time, your path is your path and, uh, mm-hmm. we want our kids to feel supported and encouraged along that path, whatever they choose to do. Awesome. You know, if I asked my wife, she'd probably be like, as long as they get a degree first, right? That's the, <laughs> they can do whatever they want once they have a four year degree. That's the, that's the uh, argument in our household. So, <laughs> so you're going down this path. I love, I love that you had this this person, this chief officer, I apologize, I forgot his name, 
who was inspirational to you. I think that's great because you mentioned a, a minute ago that, you know, when you knocked on some firehouses doors that you felt, you finally, you certainly felt a little bit of, I don't want to say resistance. That's the word that I, came to my mind, but mm-hmm. you said there was a, it didn't necessarily feel like this was the place where you should be standing necessarily. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm really glad that I met Chief Skinner early on in my journey and that he is who he is, you know, just super supportive of anybody who's on fire intended for, for the job. Yeah. And, you know, I showed up and I was, you know, making good grades and asking questions. Like he could see that I was enthusiastic. You know, there was no question about why I was there. And so, you know, he was excited for me to be there, um, which was great because, yeah, I could have run into some other instructor who was, you know, less than excited about me being there and and would have been less supportive. And I'm not sure if, you know, one person could have turned me off, but like they could have been a lot less supportive and who knows how, you know, my journey would have gone. For sure. Well, and that's something that, you know, I I know you and I wanted, we had chatted about this a little bit, society um, and we'll, you know, we'll kind of cast a broad net, right. But society kind of, and you alluded to this a little bit, but there's some, there are roles that, that people expect some people to play. Uh, in our mm-hmm. communities and in our uh, society, et cetera, right? And in the fire services is a cross-section of that society. So, you know, we do find, you know, bigotry and racism uh, exists in our midst, in any organization, but, it, it, you know, it definitely exists in the fire service for sure. And it's uh, and it feels a little bit polarized to a degree because you have a largely male-dominated workforce, and it's been that way for a long time. And mm-hmm. uh, it's still that way. So your experiences, what was that like for you? Because I feel like you came in, you're like, hey, man, no one told me I couldn't do this, so I'm totally in. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm into it. I, I'm do. I'm going to do this, and there's no obstacles. Did When you started to meet, did you, and if so, when did you start to feel like you met some resistance there? Well, I mean, I came in, like, sort of knowing, like, oh, it's mostly men that do this. Like, I was aware of what the demographics looked like because I'd been seeing it all my life, but... I maybe naively didn't think that it would be like as big of a problem as it sometimes turned out to be for me to be in the room. Um, And I didn't realize how extremely only and and othered I would be a lot of the time. Um, You know, I, when I went into that first fire science class, there might've been one other woman in the class and I'm not even sure because there were only a couple that I remember ever seeing around the entire program. So class to class there may have been one or maybe just me or maybe the two of us and then a sea of other dudes that was the same for emt school it was the same for paramedic school and let me tell you i was always the only black woman (laughs) always right no i take that back there was one other black woman in the program and i was like (laughs) hey girl but like that was out of you know thousands of people and she was the only one i ever saw so that was very like oh this is like i am the only only here for Most of it. Yeah. You're already in a small percentile group and Uh now it's even smaller, right? And so I'm going to ask you a hard question here. You and I are sitting at the kitchen table. Tell me, I want to hear your experience and and I want, what I really, what I really want people to do across the fire service is, and this language is going to sound kind of harsh, but I think some people need to hear this. I need you to, uh, not you, I need all of us to shut the fuck up for a second and listen really, really listen with hearts and open minds because I, what I want you, Aubrey, to share with us is I want you to tell me like your, what your experience is really like and, and how that, um, how it affects you, how it, how it 
what insecurities come with that, what it makes you feel like, and and how you are working to overcome that. And what can I do as your brother on this job to support you? And I, I mean that as a female, as a black female, um, you know, all of the above. So my experience varied from class to class, from firehouse to firehouse. Um, but I'd say it ranged from outright hostility <laughs> and, and just like naked racism, just blatant. I mean, I literally got told because, you know, so I'm in this community now. I'm taking these classes. I'm in paramedic school and everyone in these classes is trying to do the same thing. So we're all talking about who's testing, who's hiring, where are we going to go visit? I've literally had someone open a firehouse door when I went to visit the station to inquire about them hiring and say to me, they're not going to hire you. Let me just tell you right now, you should leave. And I was like waiting for him to be like, ha ha ha, come on in. I, I like was holding this pie that I had brought to like, you know, and I was like, right. I'm sorry, what? He's like, everybody here is a white man. And this is the guy who was like doing me a favor by telling me this before I came into that house. Mm. Okay. And something worse happened, you know, like, and, and he was, he was like trying to be nice by saying this to me. He was like, you're not going to get hired. You shouldn't be here. And I was like, got it. You know, and I, I was shocked, but yeah, but not really. Had you ever, <laughs> I was just like, had you ever experienced anything like that before? Oh yeah. I mean, I'd caught vibes like that before I caught underhanded under the breath, you know, behind my back, not behind my back, eye rolling and dismissiveness and stuff. But I'd never had it just blatantly said to my face, like, not you, not here, not doing it, go away. And I kind of appreciated that because I was just like, thanks for not wasting my time. But wow, this is in the Bay Area in, you know, the yeah. late 2000s. Like, this guy's just telling me, like, no, Do Do you think you. that was the, was that the culture at that firehouse or was that that agency, you think? Without naming that was that department. It was a small department, and he told me everyone in this department mm. is a white man, and they're not going to hire you. And I was like, "Got it." <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. How that did they, was so, like, yeah, as you're trying to take this step forward in your journey. So, how did that feel? That felt, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I I was kind of shocked that it was that out there, but I wasn't surprised that that was the culture because that seemed to be a lot of underlying culture that I encountered. And even if I, you know, was visiting stations or, or investigating departments that were hiring and, and they seem more diverse, the closer you look like it's a lot of weird segregation and a lot of us versus them. And, and um, that was just like the race stuff. Like as far as women, it was like, are there any women here? Can I please talk to one? Like yeah. we were hard to find and hard to find in leadership roles. And I mean, that's not every department. That's not everywhere. I don't want to, you know, just disparage every everything about the service but you know in general the people who are making decisions and who are at the top and who are the face of most of the department is not someone who looks like me so um well and let just, me let me just qualify apparent. that aubrey because i think that um we see that uh that paradigm exists across the country right mm -hmm. there's it's largely white male in in leadership and i'm not saying that that's that is just the way our country has evolved and grown and mm -hmm. so that that shapes the context for folks coming up, right? And, and, you know, you talked about this kind of in the beginning, which is there's nobody that looks like me. And so when you saw somebody that looked like you, you're like, oh, wait a minute. 
there is a place for me here. And so I think that mm-hmm. kind of speaks to when we look at organizations, not just the fire service, but all organizations is that's part of that, that story, right? So the story that I tell myself is, oh, there's people that look like me. Therefore, there's probably a place for me at the table, right? Like there's a place for me to move in this organization. Wow. There are other, bl- there are other black leaders. Oh, I can, mm-hmm. I can come up in this organization as well. Right. Yes. And I think that's a, that's part of that narrative. So when you're finding a, a lack of that type of exposure, women or black women, you know, to boot that even smaller uh, number, it's, it makes it really hard for you to imagine yourself in that position or to yeah. find, or to find men, mentors in that area that can help you kind that of that part. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, and yeah, like I said, it wasn't always that right out there, but it was always an undercurrent. And then I run into this weird thing where I don't know if, um, you know, if, if somebody, you know, that I was talking to and, and like hoping to have a mentorship with like a, you know, um, some guy or whatever that I, that I meet through station visits or, or through school or whatever. And then you, I, I had a couple times where I realized like, Oh, he doesn't want to mentor me. He's trying to bone me. Like, you know, mm. it's like, Oh, Oh no, I can't work with this person. I can't trust this person to like help me with my career unless they're going to get something that they want from me or whatever. And like, it was just, that was really confusing because I was walking in as a professional and like expecting the same. And then I was right. getting very different energy back that was sometimes obvious and sometimes not obvious until it was. And then I was like, yikes, yikes, yikes. Uh, I, it was upsetting and, and gross and, you know, something that all women sort of deal with. And, right. and it's hard to navigate because it's like you want to be friendly, but some guys will take just bare politeness as like, oh, yeah, she wants it. You know, it's like, yeah, the, 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 you the know that I'm not here for that, but you're hoping that you can change my mind and offer, you know, your help in exchange for like yeah. my company and coming over your house or whatever. It was just a lot of that weird stuff that I didn't realize I'd have to navigate until I was navigating it. So, yeah, just a lot of um, little hidden landmines and, and stuff that I don't imagine that you know everybody uh, is dealing with. So, I mean, I'm sure there's, so I'm there's ask predators you, of every flavor, but. So let me ask you this. How do we neutralize that? I think believing women, you know, is a big start. You know, if, if a girl tells you, if a woman tells you, this guy is creepy, he did something creepy to me, hmm. so much of the time, and it's not just men, but all people want to just be like, no, I can't be that though, right? It can't be that bad. I wasn't, it wasn't really, you know, we don't want to believe that about people that we work with and respect and like and mm. and we just don't want to believe that that stuff happens and it does just constantly yeah. <laughs> and but it gets dismissed it gets pushed under the rug it gets disbelieved and then nothing happens and then this guy is free to just creep and and victimize and and make people feel weird and do whatever he's doing because no one wants to look at it and they'd rather just believe the best of someone even when someone else is telling you like this is a problem you know, so it can start there. Someone says something, believe them. And I know everyone's like, oh, but fake accusations, like the data, just look at the data, like the number of fake accusations and people who actually get in trouble, you know, based on a fake accusation has nothing on the people that, you know, are actually doing crimes and walking free because they're not, you know, having any consequences. Right. I don't want to hear any, you know, oh, but what if she's lying? Like, most of us are not lying and most of us are experiencing this stuff like daily. Right. Believe us, please. 
Yeah, and I, I, I like, I think to myself that at this point, right in 2021, we have learned uh, that there, uh, there are certain ways that we behave that make other people uncomfortable, um, but yet we still, uh, we still struggle with that in, in a lot of ways. And sometimes it's not even like overt, uh, overt behavior. It's the subtle, subtle uh, messaging that you send uh, that is inappropriate. I'll give you an example. Uh, there was a gal working at a firehouse, and in our organization, they would publish the openings at different stations every week. Mm-hmm. So what these guys were doing was they would print print it off the computer, and they would post it on her locker, the openings at other oh, wow. stations, right? Now, they're not in front of her intimidating her, and then, and, and nobody's claiming it. We don't know who's doing it, but that's mm-hmm. that's totally hostile work environment. Yeah. And um and that's a that's a you know a different example. It's not a sexual example, but the it just the, the pressure that we put on people. People go, "Oh, well, it's just a joke. We're just teasing." Mm. Mm-hmm. Are you really? And um mm. it, you know, this I think what we lose sight of sometimes is that uh, we get into our organizations and um you know, uh, I can speak only to the fire service cuz where my world has been for the last 20 plus years is that in this world, we get into our little club, so to speak, right, with our group of people we're comfortable with, and then we start to loosen up. And when we get a little too loose, we forget that we're in a workplace and that people have a right to be comfortable in their place of work. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you, uh, you do not have a right to infringe on that. Mm-mm. This yeah, As much fun as it is in the firehouse, it has to be fun for everybody. And we have to yeah. really be thinking about that, right? Yeah. And I mean, I'm not asking for any kind of special treatment or whatever. I just don't want any just weird, hostile stuff. You know, like I only expect to be treated like with the same respect as you treat the other firefighters. You know, are you taking pictures of them while they're sleeping and they don't know it? Or is that just for me? Because, mm. <laughs> you know, I had that happen. Um, this is when I was working as an EMT and we were working 24 hour shifts and my partner that I would spend 24 hours with, you know, sleep in the station together. He was taking photos of me while I was sleeping wow. like multiple times. And then found I found out about it. Like after he had been showing the other guys, like these, this series of photos from all these different shifts. And I was just like what horrified. The... Yeah. Yeah. And it, I, I was like, and they were all like, Oh, that's weird. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Does he do that to you guys? I don't think so. And then, you know, my supervisor was like, okay, well, we won't put you on shift with him anymore. And I was like, that's it. Yeah. Okay. But of course, you know, I, I was young and I, you know, didn't really know what else to do about it. So I was like, okay, I won't work with him anymore. That's fine. And then he put me on shift with him again anyway. And I <laughs> was just like, are you entirely serious? Business need. You know, that kind right? of stuff. <laughs> we, had, we had a business need and you had to fill it. Um, yeah, he's like, well, the schedule this week. And I'm like, this guy is a psychopath. <laughs> like, are you uh, joking? So, yeah, it's like that kind of stuff. It's like, I'm not asking for extra special princess treatment. I'm just asking for like not weird, rapey, crazy stuff to happen. Yeah. Is that like the bar is on the floor? I think we could all hop over it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a reasonable expectation, right? That you can come to work and your partner's not going to stalk you like that in a weird, <laughs> creepy way. That's a reasonable. I thought it was pretty reasonable. Yeah, and I think that if you talk to um, you know gals across the the fire service, you would you would hear tales of similar 
nature, right? Have you talked to other gals in the, on the oh, job sure. and, and had conversations about this stuff? Yeah, you know, that's one thing about social media that's been really great is, um, you know, just like networking and meeting other women on the job. And so I follow like, you know, Black Women Fight Fire on Instagram and, um, you know, those hashtags and stuff. And mm-hmm. so I get to talk to other other uh, chicks on the job because there are some here, but, um, you know, I want to talk to as many as I can. So that's been great for meeting other women. And yeah, like guaranteed, if you ask any woman on the ambulance, in the firehouse, like, hey, when's the last time something creepy happened to you? They'll be like, last month. And that was the third thing that happened that month. Like, like it's, it's constant and everybody has a story. It's just like, you know, they talk about like every woman you know has either been assaulted, done something to avoid being assaulted, has almost been assaulted. Like, and this is not on the job. This is just women in the world. Right. Like, it's true. We all experience this stuff and nobody wants to talk about it. And men are quick to be like, not all men, no, not me. It's like, well, no, not all men are doing it, but all women are experiencing it. So can you be part of the solution and just listen? Or like, are you too worried about like telling me about how this affects you? <laughs> you know, mm, that's a really, it's so common. that's an interesting point. Um, it is, if you're not actively uh, stopping it, you're, you're, you're culpable in it. You know, mm-hmm. And I think about this in a lot of different areas, right? Like if people are – anytime you're trying to help shape the environment, if you are not saying something uh, to dissuade people from behaving poorly, then you're encouraging it. You know, yes. your, compl- your complicence – is that the right word? <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. is condoning that behavior, right? So that's uh, huge. That's huge because what – because the, the culture of any agency is ours, is our behavior, it's driven by what we do and what we accept and what we tolerate, mm. you know, and this is so first of all, I think step number one is we need to recognize that this is a workplace and that people have a right to have a, a, a healthy uh, place to come to work and um, mm-hmm. uh, free of free of hostility and, and free of bigotry and and bias, etc. And the the next thing is is it requires a lot of self reflection and honesty, right? Real honesty about what's going on in this organization and what our culture looks like and what we are doing uh, to our members and with our members and for them. And I will say that you do not need to be the station captain to be a leader in your in your organization's culture. It requires mm. you taking a stand. And being willing to say this is what's okay and what's not. And I'm talking like at the kitchen table. When someone starts, you know, this is kind of a common type of situation, right? Where something comes up on the television. And um, I'll give you an example. This is just a a personal example. We uh, were all sitting at the kitchen table and we had a uh, a medical student with us. We had fourth year residents coming through and they they would do one of their clinical rotations with the fire department. And so, but these are young young people, right? Fourth year medical school, they're pretty young and, you know, they're, and, uh, there's a table full of firefighters, all men. And, uh, this young lady and, uh, some, I don't even know what it was on television, but it was inappropriate. It was inappropriate. And, uh, I look at the firefighter and I'm like, "Mm," you know, like, Hey, change channel, turn that off. Mm. And he looks at me kind of like, he didn't pick up my, my signals. And he kind of gives me like, what, what? I said, bro, change channel, please. And he's like, what? 
What's the big deal? Uh, it's just da 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 da. And I'm like, bro, sidebar. <laughs> like, we <laughs> let's go chat about this. So we turned it, you know, we turned TV off and whatever. Well, before the the student left the shift, she pulled me aside on her way out. She said, "Hey, thank you. That was really uncomfortable." And I'm hey. like, "Oh my gosh! Like, you're welcome. Sorry. It will not happen again, right?" And yeah. And so I, you know, you realize like you're like, "Hey, it's just television." It's public for everybody, but think about the context. You have this, a bunch of, uh, you know, 40 year old men sitting around this kitchen table and you have this 23 year old woman and this inappropriate stuff on TV. Like it's a weird context for her. You know, you, it's the 40 not year a great old, vibe. Yeah. Right. So you, the 40 year old man might not think much about it, but, but you have to put yourself, you have to be empathetic, right? You have to put yourself mm-hmm. in someone else's position and guard them. Right, guard the environment for them because you can't expect that twenty-three-year-old to advocate for herself in that situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, some women will, but they're but you can't expect that. That's not cool, man. Yeah, she shouldn't have to. Yes, like we shouldn't put her in a position where she has to defend herself. How about mm-hmm. we defend it for her and we say like this is just not appropriate, and and she might be like, hey, no, I like that program. It's totally cool. I don't care because again, where are we? This is a workplace. Right. Mm -hmm. So you might be offending somebody else who who has other uh, concerns or whatever or other values that are being infringed upon. But they didn't want to say anything for fear of, you know, compromising their position in the organizational culture. Right. Mm. So, so yeah, setting that standards is really important and then holding the line. And we all have a responsibility for that. Definitely. Yeah. So I'm going to shift gears on you here a little bit. Tell me, tell me what it's like to, I mean, I know you had some exposure to the fire service on the, on the mainland, but what's it like working in Hawaii? Yeah, man, I can't lie. It's pretty great. (laughs) Uh, I did work for another department in the Bay area for a short time. Um, And that, you know, I mean, when I got the call, I was like on the moon. I, I felt like I hit the lottery. It was great. I was living the dream, but and, you know, no shade to that department or whatever. But then I started working out here and I was like, oh, oh, no, this is it. it. <laughs> like <laughs> the culture of this department, the culture of the island. It, it's just I I thought I would die in San Francisco. That was my city. I was born there. I moved back there. I lived there for 13 years. I love that city. And, and I, I was happy there. But, you know, when the chance came to come out here, I was like, well, shoot, like I was 30 I was 30 years old I wasn't married yet I didn't have any kids I didn't own it. I was like if I'm gonna ever do something like this now is the time so I I hopped over and and decided to try it and I was like gosh I hope I like it yeah. <laughs> but I have never felt more at home anywhere than I do here it's I mean and I say this with like all the respect of someone who is not native Hawaiian, did not grow up here, has no claim to the land or, or even the little bit of it that I occupy. I'm a guest. Uh, I want to, you know, make that very clear. I'm not one of those people who's like, Oh, I just feel Hawaiian because I like the beach. Like that's (laughs) so wildly disrespectful. I'm not saying that I feel at home because of the people here. Um, And because I think that I am in an organization like the fire department, you know, I, I came here and I sort of got really immersed in, um, in this service and that's how I see it you know it's and I'm not like oh it's just this noble service position but it is like I'm I feel like this is my way of giving back to the community and earning my place to 
to be on this island and being a helpful part of the society here and being a productive member of, of, you know, where I am. So I'm grateful that I get to do that here. And then, you know, I, I meet a lot of folks, you know, it's a very, um, what's the word transient, I guess, like a lot of people move here and leave. And part of that is military and part of that is college students. And part of that is just people trying out Island life and realizing it's not for them. But most people in the fire department are people who've grown up here. They're local. They love it here. They, um, this is their home. And I got to come and be sort of immersed in that in local culture. I didn't come and like surround myself with other only people from the mainland who only have been here for a year. And, and just, that's all they know is, you know, their little neighborhood with all the other mainland people or whatever. So, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, living where you want and hanging out with who you want, but I'm really feel lucky that I got to come and, and meet so many people who are from here and, and learn from them and experience, you know, life here with, that lens, I guess. Yeah. It's been great. <laughs> That's cool. No, man, I love your perspective on that. I think it's, I know there's a strong, uh, local, uh, a local versus other vibe. And I, I, I see how that happens with the transient nature of the cult of the, of the islands. Right. I never mm-hmm. heard anyone articulate it like that. And I really think that's cool because it's interesting perspective to have to recognize that those who grew up there have a very different perspective. When you get these people who are, um, you know, Johnny come lately right. That just show up and then they come, they take advantage and then they leave or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very interesting uh, effect on a community. So it's, it kind of creates that polarization. Yeah. So do you feel now after seven years, like you, you do get to be, uh, you know, you, at what point do you get to claim a little bit of local status? That's really not for me to say. I don't ever get to call myself like, no, I'm a local. Like, you know, after 10 years, you're a real New York, you're a New Yorker or whatever. Like, I I would never presume to call myself a real, you know, local or whatever. Like, I'm not ever going to be local. I'm I'm Hallie from the mainland. <laughs> but um, if someone, you know, if someone local does say like, she's cool, she's down, like, then I'm like, okay, they said it, all right. <laughs> but that's not a title I get to put on myself. I just try to, you know, uh, do my thing, do my thing respectfully, embrace and respect the culture, appreciate, not appropriate, all that good stuff. And, uh, yeah, be part of the, be part of, you know, the aloha that everybody loves so much and not just taking, but giving it. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So tell me the, you know, you had some experience with the fire service on the mainland. In what ways is, is being a firefighter on the island different? Well, the department I worked for in the mainland was also um, all paramedic. So already, you know, it's a bunch of type A like, <laughs> smarty pants who was like very uh, intense. There was um, an unofficial slogan that such and such fire department eat their young. Mm. <laughs> you know, it was that. It was very that. And of course, you know, I got there and I was just like, well, this is how it is. I should be afraid all the time. Like, <laughs> You know, like, and not to say that they were abusive or, or super overly hazing or whatever, but it was a very tough, you know, tough landing. It was a hard landing. Yeah. And, um, you know, they expect excellence off the bat. And that's fair because they're an excellent department. But it was just a very different. Um, but just wind, wound a little tight. Wound pretty tight. Yeah. And so not to say that here, you know, we don't expect excellence and we're not serious about our work. But, you know, I mean, the 
what they say is true about like people on the mainland, you know, driving fast, walking fast, talking fast, being really intense. And, you know, it's like, and then there's like, you know, so, so-called like island time. I was you know, going to say, I've heard about like, that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, we're very serious about getting our work done. We're going to be on time to work and, and, and handle our business with, you know, grace and dignity and strength and pride and dedication. But like, also we know how to chill when it's time to chill. <laughs> and it's like, there was kind of no chill where I was before. Right. Or it's like, you could chill after maybe five years, but you got to earn the chill and you got to earn it, you know, with pound of flesh and blood here. It's like you, you can earn your chill, but it's like, you don't feel like you're earning it through a piece of your soul. <laughs> right. I don't know. It, it's, um, it just seems much more, um, much more natural and a little bit more like respectful and just like not taking itself too seriously. Cause you can like go overboard with, you know, just like who's who here and you're going to whatever, you know, Yeah, it's a paramilitary organization and we're all about, you know, respect. And we, we, you know, talk to people how we should talk to people and all that. But there's a lot less, there's a lot more humility. I'll say that. I think that's the overarching thing is like, there's a lot more humility in what we're doing and why we're doing it. And it's about being of service. You know, the, the um, motto is pride, service, dedication, but it's, it's not pride in self. It's pride in work. It's pride in our service and the dedication to it. And I really just vibe with that um, because I think being of service is sort of the most important thing you can do. You know, if yeah. I'm going to just do everything, in my life geared towards like getting what I want and doing what I want and, you know, achieving for me and mine, it's not going to be as fulfilling as, you know, also taking care of me and mine, but, you know, getting to do things that are outside of myself. Like if there's something that's going to make me feel good about myself, it's not being able to say I did this for me. The thing that really, you know, hits that self-esteem button is I did this for someone else and someone else is having a better day because of me. So it, I guess selfishly, <laughs> you know, being of service is really great for your self-esteem. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. Hey, I like, I like that. That's one of my, uh, one of the things that's really most important to me. And um, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize that's what I was looking for in my career uh, until I, you know, had grown up a little bit. And, and once I finally got in the fire service, I'm like, oh, this is what I've been looking for, right? Was mm. to be able to do something that impacted the community or that impacted people, not the community so much, people, human beings mm -hmm. in a meaningful way. And if you can do that and make a living, wow, what a, right? what an amazing opportunity, right? Like that's what it was for me. And I go, and I get to go work indoors, outdoors with my hands and with my brain. Like, I'm like, oh my uh -huh. gosh, this job is the total package. Um, so for me, that's, that's exactly right is it starts with, you know, uh, being, uh, of service and being able to, I, I look at like, oh man, all the, I'm trying to build my knowledge, skills and abilities. Why? So I can be a more effective servant to my member, to the members of my community and my brothers and sisters yeah. in the fire department. So I love, I love what you just said. That's fantastic. You know, so, awesome. well, so speaking of that, Aubrey, the, you know, you and I touched on, uh, the, this idea of a role model and a mentor. And I really see, um, uh, the opportunity you have to be, uh, 
an example for other other women and other black women who are coming up uh, in the ranks or or not in the ranks necessarily, but who would like to be in the ranks. And so, um, you know, how do you feel about that burden of responsibility that's kind of placed on you without your asking? <laughs> I mean, it is sometimes it, it is like, oh, why do I have to just because I'm the only one I have to be everybody's freaking role model. I have to be the one to be the example. Like sometimes it does feel like a burden, but more than more than that, I really am grateful that I have the opportunity. You know, it's worth it to me to like have to sort of bear that that load of like, okay, well, everyone's looking at you. Um, it's worth it to me to have somebody look at me who might, you know, not have seen me or anybody like me or who look like them and not consider this as a career. Hmm. So I don't know, like, I, I, part of me is like, oh, I really like, I just like being a firefighter. Like, I might just be like firefighter one for life. Like, I love being in the firehouse. And is that a, doing, mo- you know, is that that a motto? <laughs> firefighter one for life. Yeah, t-shirt and everything. <laughs> but then like, the other part of me is like, I have to be the chief. They have to, I have to do it for the girls behind me. You know, like, I have to open all the doors and break all the ceilings. Like, I don't, and I, so I go between those two, right. you know those two modes where it's like I have to achieve everything so that everyone behind me can achieve but it's like can I also like you said be a leader at any level can I be a role model at any level like yeah I, I don't have to wait until I have you know bugles or you know a certain level of whatever yeah. um, promotion or prestige to be a role model and so like I love when we see kids out and uh, you know I wear my I wear my bun up high on my head so they can see like Oh, it's a girl, you know, and now like we wear masks and stuff. I'm in a mask and a gown and a face shield and we just look like, you know, hazmat all the time. But if we see like, um, young, you know, young girls and stuff out, like I pitch my voice around, hi, hey, stay in school. So they know, oh, that's a girl. I want to, I want to make sure they know and they see me. I wave out the window. I'm like, you will see me. You will look and see me in this fire truck because I want you to see you, you know? Yeah. So it's important to me, I guess, to, if nothing else, even if I can't be like this ultimate role model at all times, I'm going to be representation. I'm going to be out there. I used to be kind of shy about posting like firefighting stuff on my social media because, you know, being a woman on the internet, I would get a lot of weird energy and hostile stuff and stupid questions and gross DMs, (laughs) just, you know, for putting anything out there. But if I put stuff out there about my work, a lot of just like a lot of static that I didn't want to deal with, but I was like, no, I can deal with weeding out these weirdos and, and fending off this energy and blocking the trolls because people need to see me just like I am searching on online and in, you know, wherever for people that look like me and other women and network with, like they need to be able to find me too. So, yeah. So I'm happy that like you reached out and you know, we're, we're connecting and, I just love meeting other firefighters and, and talking my talk if someone lets me. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. I, I think back to the, the comment you made earlier when you talked about um, seeing that, that truck backing out and or backing and then that, you know, a, a woman who looks like you out there ground guiding and backing up that rig. Um, she, she didn't have to say anything. She just had mm-hmm. to be present and to sit as or work as, you know, be out there in the world as an example of what's possible. I think that, you know, like I look and this is going to sound like I don't know if this is the best example or not, but um, Roger Bannister, who ran, who broke the first four minute mile. 
right? Mm. Like he, he ever, the doctors were like, you're going to die. You can't do it. It's not phys- it's not <laughs> humanly possible. And yet he was like, well, I think I can do this and I'm going to try. And he trained and he worked and he did his thing and he went out there and he, and he ran 359.59 or whatever. And everyone's like, oh, it's actually possible because somebody <laughs> showed them that it was. And I think that that mm-hmm. is – you know, I, I love hearing people's journey into the fire service because so many of us come from different ways and there's and, and, and there's all these people out here who are doing all these different jobs and you don't always know what's available to you, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, I, uh, when I came out of high school and uh, I didn't do very well academically in school and I went into the Marine Corps and I'm like, well, this is all that's available to me. And it took my now wife pointing out, she's like, hey, man. You need to go get an education. You're smarter than you think you are. And that mm. that flipped me a little bit. And I'm like, uh, okay. And when I started going to school, I began to realize, oh, now I've grown up. I've matured. I've, I've met. I, it, it showed me a, a pathway that I realized I didn't realize I was capable of. And, um, you know, and it opened the door for me. And I think that being that example for people, being that voice and saying, hey, check this out. You can do this is huge. Mm-hmm. So, so let's say you're, you're given an opportunity to, to, um, this is the opportunity right now. We're going to, we're putting this in front of, you know, a, a, a schoolroom full of young ladies who look like you. What do you tell them? <laughs> this is an interview question. I did not prepare. For. <laughs> Gosh, I guess, I, I mean, I think, um, I would just tell them the truth. This is the best job in the world. You're going to have so much fun. You're going to be able to do so many things. If there's something that you're interested in, you can probably apply it to somebody somewhere in the fire service. I mean, the heights you can take your career to, the directions you can take your career to, it's sort of boundless. You know, and I mean, that varies from department to department, but it's like, if you're interested in something, there's probably something to do with it here. Um and you can make your career what you want. You can make a life that you love. You can, you can do it. <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to be able to meet great people, make great friends, have a whole nother family, um, have a support system and, uh, and, you know, a crew that is beyond my wildest dreams of, you know, and, and again, I wouldn't say this to the little girls, but like, that's not the case for everybody. But for me personally, like the people that I work with right now in this firehouse on all the watches, frankly, are great. I trust them all with my life, literally. And that's something that's so rare anywhere in the world, in any other job. It's just like nothing else in the world. And it's super fun. I love it. Well, Aubrey, that's a, that's a, a wonderful sentiment to, to leave uh, for a classroom full of kiddos, man. I love it. Um, I'm, insp- I'm inspired. I'm over here all goose pimply. Uh, I'm ready to go, <laughs> go to work and, and do this. I, I love it. Um, so, so I know people are going to be interested in, in, in following your journey a little bit. So uh, where can we find you on social media? Uh, well, you can follow me on Instagram. It is public, so behave. But <laughs> it's uh, unfriendly blurred hottie um, on my social. Or you can look me up by my name, Aubrey Loveman, just how it sounds, A-U-B-R-E-Y-L-O-V-E-M-A-N. Um, 
and I'll be the one, you know, you'll probably see my dog, you'll probably see some yoga Pilates, you'll probably see some firefighting, some, and then, you know, I have a whole different side where like, I really like to dress up real cute and do pinups. So <laughs> yeah, you have I got to maintain my femininity, you know, <laughs> spend all my days in boots and a man's uniform surrounded by dudes. I got to like come home and put on a red lip and some heels and just like remind everybody she's a lady. Okay. Good for you. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what you'll find on my Insta, a little bit of everything. Right on. Well, Aubrey, I appreciate you making yourself available to people, um, you know, because I know there are probably folks out there who are super excited about the career and the path. And, you know, um, and I, I love to hear uh, this this other people's perspective on how they got there. And I know that some folks feel like there's a boundary that is not crossable, um, but it absolutely is, and it just takes some chutzpah and a willingness to put yourself out there. And you know, and I will say this too, man. I really appreciate your willingness to to have an honest and thoughtful conversation about about race and about gender and about um, you know some of the ways that uh, we can make each other feel uncomfortable in the workplace. And uh, I think it's important that we talk about it openly and and really, you know. You know, I use some harsh language, but really just listen to one another <laughs> and really be thoughtful about how are we making other people feel in the workplace. Uh, it's a big deal. It's important. So yeah. thank you for Everybody that. Everybody wants to come to work and have a good day. Exactly. Just have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, thank you for your time. And um, I'm going to hit end here. Hey, y'all, that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Aubrey, for sitting down and sharing your thoughts and feelings. And if you are enjoying this podcast, get onto whatever platform you enjoy the most. Subscribe, uh, and this podcast will download in the middle of the night when you least expect it. Hey, get on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast. Uh, your feedback is invaluable. If you want to shoot an email to me, uh, my address is in the show notes, or you can... Uh, you can catch it right here, Rain Gray at firegroundfitness.com. Leave some feedback. Uh, always enjoy the feedback, and it is part of the process of improving this product for your enjoyment. Now, take the lessons learned here in this conversation today. Go out and find yourself uh, being better, more effective. Lean into the work that we do, the work that you are doing in your life, whether on the fireground or off, and be more capable more attentive, more tuned in, more deliberate in your life. Listen with more fidelity and go on out there and just get some. <laughs>